Ben Motorcycle Adventures podcast, your hub for everything off-road, dual sport, and adventure motorcycle. My name is John. I will be your host. This is episode number 24, Ben Motorcycle Adventures podcast. Thank you for joining, and as always, thank you for listening. Really excited about tonight's guest. We've got a returning guest, Keith, from episode 7, The Motorcycle Adventure, is back. He was just riding on the Baja Peninsula for a number of days. Nice long trip. He escaped the the cold weather from the East Coast, spent some time at Baja. So, so he's here to detail that trip. We'll also talk a little bit about riding in Alaska, the Continental Divide. Keith is just a uh, wealth or a fountain of knowledge. So plethora of topics coming your way here on episode number 24. Little note here for Android users. I've noticed that Google Play Music, at least on my my desktop browser here in Safari, I need to check in Chrome, but it doesn't seem to be picking up the latest episode of the podcast. So if you're an Android user, you might uh, try the app TuneIn or the app Stitcher to listen to the podcast. I'll see if I can figure out this this situation here with Google Play Music, but it doesn't seem to be picking up uh, my last few podcasts. As always, iTunes and YouTube are also great resources to listen to the show. Managed to pick up a Hero 7 Black, a GoPro, this past week. And just a heads up for you guys, they're on sale right now. $349 for the Black. And if you have a previous generation GoPro, you can actually trade that in and get a little bit of uh, equity, if you will. I, I, I opted to keep my Hero 6 Black. But I know this camera's been out for a while. The reason I didn't buy it earlier was because I had already purchased the 6 not long before the launch of the 7, go figure. Uh, but I, I, I've had a lot of problems with my 6 in relation to wind noise. Just some really atrocious wind noise when riding the bike. Not not even as good in the sound department as any of the previous generation GoPros. And I'm told the sevens a lot better. I've also bought some video mics and things like that to improve the sound if needed. But I want to get out there and try this uh, Hero 7 as soon as we get some better weather and just see how it stacks up against the 6. And, and uh, I, I think you guys should keep a lookout probably on the YouTube channel and on our blog, benmotorcycleadventures.com, for some comparisons here in the very near future. But just a heads up, just a reminder, if you're in the market for a new GoPro, again, the Hero 7 Black is on sale, 349 bucks. Uh, at least that's what I saw and that's what I paid. You might find one uh, even cheaper. Something else I wanted to point out, if you are a KTM 790 Adventure or Adventure R fan, or you're going you're gonna to get one of those models this year like myself or... You're just interested in information about the bike. I've started a KTM or a, whew, I've started a Facebook group. It's called KTM 790 Adventure R. The group is closed. Basically, you just have to answer a, a quick question to join the group, and it should be a clean, sophisticated, fun, and a lot of relevant information about the bike. You know, going forward, as soon as I take delivery of mine, I'll do a lot of uh, walkthroughs and add-ons and whatever. You can follow my build there along the way. But it's really meant to be a nice place to kind of condense a lot of information about the KTM 790 Adventure R. So if you're interested in that Facebook group, one more time, KTM 790 Adventure R. Last thing, question of the week. Our friend Keith was able to escape the the bad East Coast weather and uh, really enjoy himself on the Baja Peninsula. But for those of you and those of us who don't have that luxury or don't live in the Southwest or the Southeast, what do you do this time of year? How do you pass the time? Is it bike maintenance? 
Uh, do you watch videos? Do you punish yourself like that and wish you were somewhere else? Or do you just kind of uh, abandon motorcycles until you get decent riding weather? I'd be interested to know. BenMotorcycleAdventures at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. I'll read that stuff back on uh, the next episode. All right, that's about enough from me. Let's jump into the podcast. Let's talk to Keith about his Baja adventure, Ben Motorcycle Adventures, episode 24. Thank you for listening. Well, we've got cold, but we've got rain. We're a few degrees above freezing, so I guess we lucked out. You're hanging in there. Hard to complain. Spring will be here soon. I know. So that's a uh, significant contrast from your motorcycle adventure in Baja, right? Indeed. <laughs> yeah, so, 75 to 80 and sunny is it's hard to beat. Uh, that sounds horrible. Um, what is what is it about Baja? What's what's with all the mystique? There's a lot of people down there that that I personally know right now. What it is about Baja in this time of year? Um, so so part of it is the weather is terrific. It's hard to find better weather anywhere in the United States. Uh, Part of it is it's a it's a vast landscape that has a tremendous diversity. Um, I don't know how much background or context you want, but you've probably traveled to California. Oh sure, sure. So imagine you started at the Oregon line and you were discovering California, and you traveled the length of the state. You'd encounter a tremendous diversity. And imagine you did that where the weather was just really excellent, 60 at night, 80 during the day. And rather than being as wide as California was, the width of California varied from 25 to 150 miles. So California, I think, is about 200 miles wide. Maybe it's 150, but it's the length of California, not quite as wide, and it only has 10% of the population. (laughs) And imagine California had an ocean on two sides. Sure, so you're riding on the peninsula. Right. And so you've got mountains, you've got desert, you've got canyons, you've got ocean, you've got ocean, and you've got remoteness. And the people you encounter in these remote places are just awesome, wonderful people, thrilled to see you, because they just don't get that many visitors. Yeah, that continues continues to be a, a theme. Everyone I've spoken to who has ridden through Mexico or South America... Uh, kind of welcome with with open arms for the most part. That's good to hear. And I think Baja is special. Even the Mexicans consider Baja to be sort of a tourist-free zone uh, because it's so remote and there's so little business and so little agriculture there. Uh, even the Mexicans consider it to be like uh, a special part of Mexico. Um, yeah. Now it's it's really an unusual place. Um, have you ever been to Italy? No, I have not. That is definitely on the uh, agenda for me here in a couple of years. So, so many Americans fall in love with Italy, and they love the diversity, the, the Adriatic on the east, the Mediterranean on the west, the, um, the way the shorelines just plummet down to the sea, the, the fact that everything is terraced and civilized and the food is wonderful. Um, Baja is kind of like Italy before it became populated. Italy is is similar in length to Baja and maybe uh, a little wider. But if you'd like to see Italy 3,000 years ago, go to Baja. <laughs> hmm, that's an interesting take. When I think about Italy, I think about myself on the uh, Mediterranean 
visiting, you know, the Roman Colosseum and, and places like yeah. that. Yeah, so if we populated uh, Baja and waited 3,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, it's um, to answer your question, I think part of the magic is the incredible diversity and the fact that it's just, it's a wild, uninhabited place and the people you do meet are incredibly friendly and helpful and, and just delighted to see you. Um, and, and that if you listen to people's stories and examples, whether it's adversity or just stopping for lunch, um, people are just uh, awfully good-natured. And, and it's a, a friendship almost. It's a good nature that, that's hard to find here in the U.S. People here are civil. But in Mexico, people are, are downright friendly. I, I think I told you after my trip to Mexico City in February, I came back and one of my colleagues said – could you describe your adventure in Mexico? I heard it's really scary and awful. And I said, you know, it's hard to describe, but I think Mexico was the richest poor country I've ever visited. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, the people are incredibly rich, the families, the communities, people go out and walk the town square. Um, they know their neighbors, they help visitors, and yet they have no or very poor uh, material goods, very few flat screens, new cars, big houses, they're just materially very poor, but for all of the things that you and I would consider to be important, they're incredibly rich, much richer than we are. Yeah, it's an and, interesting and, deep take. And, yeah, and that comes across. And when you're riding a motorcycle, you know how we're more open to interaction with the people around us. Um, and we feel that, we sense that, and we experience that. So when people say, oh, gosh, I went to Baja and I can't wait to go back and you listen to their stories, and the stories are, for the most part, adversity compounded by delightful help. Interesting. And you, you touched on something there that's really important to me, which is diversity. When I, when I go on rides and I try to promote this locally, uh, I want to see something different every day. And that's why I love Oregon. We've got the coast. We've got the Cascade Range. We've got the volcanic landscapes. We've got the deserts. Uh, is Baja like that with, with that much diversity? Yeah, yeah. Oregon's probably a great example. Um, imagine you took Oregon and squeezed it in terms of the width, and you stretched it out in terms of length, north to south. And then you added another ocean on the eastern shore of Oregon. There are uh, all of the things you described in Baja. And the other thing that's interesting in Baja is because it's a fairly dry climate, you have this incredible uh, sort of desert diversity. You come across... Uh, deserts that have a tremendous amount of cactus plants, diversity in cactus plants. And then you get into another desert, and it's a very different population of cactus plants. And some of them look like a Dr. Zeus book, and some of them look <laughs> like a Jurassic Park book because, you know, they're out to eat you like the, like the dinos are, and the other ones are there to cuddle you. And um, it's, it's the diversity and it's the biological diversity that really smacks you on the side of the head. You appreciate, I mean, I'm sure you do in Oregon, just what a wonderful, um, experience you have when you go from the ocean to the mountains, um, and back. So, and in Baja, you can do that. You can start out on one coast in the morning, ride to the other coast and ride back to the other coast in a day's ride. Probably three of our 10-day rides did just that. Oh, wow. Um, so I've noticed, or I think we've all noticed, that 
you know, Southern California is getting quite a bit of rain this winter, and that hasn't really been yeah. uh, the norm over the past few years. Pretty significant drought down there. Were you guys, you know, the benefact the benefactors of that while you were in Baja? Indeed. One of the things that's really remarkable about Baja this year is the the deserts are just green, and there are flowers in bloom, and it's it's been a really unusual year. Last October, a hurricane blew through central Baja, and it dumped an enormous amount of water, washed out a bunch of roads, too, but it really deposited a lot of water, and so these cactus plants that hadn't been watered in years have all flourished, and then this wet winter that California has experienced has also dumped a fair amount of water in Baja, and things are just really enjoying that moisture. So considering that, um, would you say that winter is the best time to ride Baja or because it's coastal, can you know can you enjoy yourself year round down there? What do you think? So I've asked people about that because my experience is limited uh, to three trips, um, two in December and one in January. And I asked colleagues who've ridden quite a bit. And I said, gee, can I come back here in the summer and enjoy this? And they said, well, if you stay in the Pacific, you can enjoy it. But on the uh, Sea of Cortez or the Bay of California, it's really too hot in the summer. And I think part of the magic of Baja is, you know, in Maryland or probably in Oregon this time of year, it's really hard to go riding for a week with a light T-shirt and your jacket. <laughs> yes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and, you know, to, to just load up your bike and not worry about carrying a, a down jacket and electric gear is is like wow you know and your major concern there is do you have enough water because it's going to be hot so i would argue that probably the six months focused on october november december january february march are ideal for riders uh, but you could go year-round uh, you'd probably want to stay on the Pacific coast or near the Pacific coast because of those cooling ocean breezes. But it does get pretty hot there. I mean, it gets hot in Southern California too. Sure. Yeah. Um, A lot of people won't. Yeah. I was just going to say one of my favorite things to do is, is visit Hawaii, you know, uh, around December or January when the, when the whales are in there, but it's nice being an Oregonian to get that kind of change of pace. You know, I remember when I went a couple of years ago, it was, you know, we had record snowfall. It was, 10, 15 degrees for about a month. And then I showed up in Kona and it was 75, 80 every day. So it's nice to <laughs> transition out of this, uh, transition out of this ice age and, and get somewhere warm. So did you get to spend time in the water with the whales? Um, uh, no, saw them from afar. It, it really wasn't that, uh, it really wasn't that kind of moment. We're going to go back here in February, 2020, uh, you know, a little bit later, uh, probably late February, mid-February, and and try to see some up close and personal. Um, I did go out and do some fishing, and of course, I love to golf, so I spent plenty of time on the course. But it's a great time of year to be in Hawaii, too. Yeah, well, if you like whales, uh, the whole Baja Peninsula is just full of whales. It's a breeding ground for many different kinds of whales. And on this trip, um, this trip was a little different than my previous trips. Uh, previous trips, we'd ridden round trip. We left San Diego, we rode to Cabo, and we rode back to San Diego in 10 days. And that was a long trip. This trip, we took 10 days, and we rode down to Cabo, and then we put our bikes on an 18-wheeler. And they trailered the bikes back to Tijuana over two days, and we spent two days in La Paz. And we went swimming with the whales. And wow. and, and Yeah. And that was just, that was magnificent. They have these whale sharks or shark whales. 
I don't know what they're called, these big whales, and you take a mask and snorkel, and you go out in the harbor in La Paz on these little panga boats, and the guide finds the whales, and then you hop in the water, and you, you, you're limited the number of people that can swim along the whale. They limit it to three people. And then you swim along the whale uh, for five or ten minutes until you get tired. And then you hop back in the boat, and the other folks hop in. But these swimming next to a 40- or 50-foot whale who's just lumbering along, and you're, you're paddling just to keep up, you know. Uh, and you see their eyes, and their and you just swim along the length of them, and you see these tiny little fish that are cleaning them stuck on their tails and their fins. And if you enjoy whales, if you enjoy fishing, I'd strongly encourage you to fly to San Diego, walk across the border, and fly from Tijuana to La Paz. They have cheap flights every day, um, you know, 80 bucks, and you'll fish until you're tired of fishing and you swim with the whales and the water is magnificent and the cost you know it cost us fifty dollars for a half day's adventure of swimming with the whales and the hotels are cheap and the food is awesome and the people are terrific the other advantage of going to baja for you is for the most part you'll be in the same time zone or only off by one hour i don't know what it is to hawaii but it's It's probably three hours oh that's not so bad yeah there was a guy it's, it's great when you show up. It's horrible when you leave and you come back and you lose your three hours. <laughs> You're like, no, no. Yeah. Well, there was a guy on this trip who was from Hawaii. I'd ridden uh, the uh, previous ride with him. I think it was a Continental Divide. And he's a, a fairly successful contractor on the Big Island. And on his bucket list was to ride Baja. And so he flew in from Hawaii, flew into San Diego, had his motorbike there. He had a Husky 501, and he rode Baja, and he he just couldn't believe. Now, he lives in Hawaii, and he's used to good weather, but he just he just marveled at how each day was so – nobody there, and just the waves and the fog and the birds and then the fog lifts and the sun comes out, and you're riding with your buddies. And, you know, the only concern you have in the world is what time's lunch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of lunch, I'm, I've scrolled through all your photos here on your On Any Sunday, your Google Photos. You guys make me hungry. You you uh, <laughs> definitely were not uh, – you weren't hurting for meals. Let's, let's say that. Holy smokes. Yeah, to be honest with you, John, I don't know why we focus so much on photographing meals. Part of it is um, it's a way for us to express the absolute delight we have in our newfound friends. You know, there there's there are 24 guys on this ride, and we ride, ride in groups of two, three, or four. And so that day you spend the, with those four or five guys, three or four guys. And, and when you have a lunch and you get together with other groups, it's kind of like, oh, how, are, how was your day? What would you discover, you know? And, and the food is terrific, and yet there's, there's just an awful lot of positive energy because of everybody having a good time. And so I think that's the reason that the the food photos come across. It's yeah, it's to be, yeah. There seems to be. It seems to be. I don't want to say human nature. You know, I think we go back to nomadic times. I'm not sure if they were all could be uh, yeah. sitting around a rock. But there's something to be said for that kind of gathering. Uh, you know, for for people, it it seems to uh, touch a nerve that's uh, kind of near and dear to all of us too. Yeah, there's something I think I think you're probably right. There's, you know, the the idea of breaking bread together, especially with people you're not so familiar with. And and that's um a real positive experience. 
Yeah, and back to your your travel pitch there. My girlfriend would probably listen to this podcast and let her know, hey, maybe uh, maybe it's not uh, Hawaii next February for her birthday. Maybe it is La Paz. Well, I don't know how hard it is for you to get time off. Um, we started our trip on a on a Friday afternoon, and we finished on a Sunday afternoon. So what's that? Ten days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday plus seven. Yeah, that's ten days. And what we experienced in that ten days was just magical. It was it was easy. It was without stress. Um, it didn't really matter if we did everything on the list that day. By noontime, we'd done enough to be happy for the next three days. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I've again, I've talked to we've we've spoken to a couple of people who are riding around the world recently. And, you know, something that I wanted to know was, hey, what's your what's your day-to-day plan? Do you know where, where you're going to be the following day? What's the destination in mind? And most of them are kind of doing it ad-lib. They're as they yeah. go. Um, that's so foreign to me. I plan everything out. But that's an interesting interesting take when you have time to just kind of ride to where you're comfortable and uh, call it good. Well, what's fun about the Baja trips that I've been on is each day we travel to a different Uh, town and hotel. But we also have the option on each day to take a bailout route. So if you really get stuck on the first third of the ride and and you really enjoy it, you know, come lunchtime, you can just take pavement into the hotel and you'll be there before dark. So so even though you know where you're going to be, you don't worry about getting there. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And you know, like you said, you have the bailout. It looks like Kevin has put just a uh, tremendous amount of work into his maps and routes. That's crazy that you have so many options. Well, you know, when, you, when you're riding with different people, it's really an advantage. And, and even you would like to have a day of rest or uh, a really aggressive day, you know, where you really want to go do all the reds. And then the next day, maybe, maybe you just want to take a nice slow blue along the beach, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, and backpacking we call those uh, we call them zero days where we don't do too much. We don't cover twenty twenty five miles. Well, there's you know there's as a male there's there's a real motivation to to do all of the great stuff and squeeze it all in. And after a couple of days, you say, why didn't he schedule a rest day or a zero day as you backpackers? Why why did he why did he wait until the end of the trip? <laughs> Because I could really use one, <laughs> but I'm not going yeah. to admit it, you know. And so you're up at five o'clock and getting your bike ready, and as soon as the sun rises, you're off for another 220 mile day of single track or slow stuff. That's just awesome. You know? Yeah, it's weird how that that sense of adventure can create some urgency. Every time I go ride, especially somewhere new, it's I always want to see what's around the next corner. I'm afraid I'm going to miss something, and then you know, before you know it, I've I've burnt through my route, at least for the day, you know, by noon. <laughs> yeah. Well, if if I could change the Baja trip, I, I would definitely add a week to it. I'd make it two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, it's, there's so much to see and there, there's so much to do. But, you know, for a lot of people, getting two weeks off is just, it's really hard. And and so getting 10 days is kind of a reasonable compromise. So this last that- trip, go ahead. Yeah, I was. I just wanted to dive in there, but uh, maybe this is something for later. But yeah, you mentioned there, there's so much to see and do. I was going to ask you what what are some of the notable stops or, or landmarks along the way. I've watched a lot of stuff on Baja and seen some 
uh, I don't I don't know how I would describe them. Uh, you know, ancient churches and and things like that. What's down there for everyone to see? So, um, gosh, that. You know, uh, by analogy, is probably reasonable. Imagine you started the Oregon-California border, <laughs> and you had to ride the length of California over 10 days, and you had to describe what you saw. <laughs> okay, okay. Too broad. You know? Too broad. Well, no. I mean, everywhere you turn, there's there's really amazing stuff, right? There's, sure. There's the Northern California coastline, which is so special, and and then you get into the mountains. And rather than the big sequoias, they have these these huge saguaro cactus that must be thirty forty feet high, and and these cactus are like towering, you know. Um, and and then you travel down into a canyon, and the mountains come up, and you know the mountains aren't fourteen thousand feet. I don't know what the highest mountain is in Baja, maybe 5,000, 6,000 feet. But to go from the ocean to elevation, um, in December, we went up uh, into elevation. And you asked about rain earlier. As we went up into elevation, uh, one of the higher points in northern Baja, it started to snow. And that was yeah. in December. I was going to ask you so, about that. I, uh, a couple of your pictures, it looks like it. I wasn't sure if it was just white sand no. or snow. Well, there's an awful lot of beautiful sand in Baja. There's sand everywhere in Baja, particularly along the coast. But um, So I'm not trying to dodge your question, but there are many wonderful villages along the coast, both coasts. Uh, there are small little villages in the middle of the country that are there probably because a, a Spanish or a Benedictine or whatever it was, mission was there in the 1700s, and that probably means there was a water source. Uh, there are oases, kind of like you'd find in the Middle East. Hmm. Uh, imagine you're going through the Sinai Desert, and you come across this huge oasis, and there are all these date palm trees and uh, some hand-dug aqueducts that uh, provide water to the whole valley, and you can see that this has been a farming village for a couple of hundred years. Uh, but for the most part, it's largely uninhabited, and there are large areas that you'd call protected, not protected by U.S. government standards that exclude motorcycles, but protected from development. Um, okay. So, many of the roads, most of the roads in Baja are dirt or gravel. Uh, a lot of them are what you'd call primitive dirt and gravel. Some of them haven't had a a blade over them in a couple of years, and because of the weather, um, they get they can get pretty awful. Even roads that should be good can be pretty awful. And for uh, somebody who likes to ride off road, those are great roads. <laughs> <laughs> um, How did the uh, trusty WR do down there? So funny you should ask. Uh, Twenty-four motorbikes, three WRs, twenty-one KTM's. I like that ratio. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy, Mike Black. I had never met this guy. He's from the San Francisco Bay Area. And he was a quiet, unassuming guy that arrived with a Home Depot orange toolbox that said KTM Tools Plus Parts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the WRs were great. No mechanical issues, no flat tires. Put in gas and go. Um, 
the first day, just as we were leaving San Diego, one of the KTMs had a dead battery, and it was one of those oh. uh, new lithium-ion batteries. And Mike says, oh, I got a spare battery in my toolbox. So he whips out this, and the KTM 500 has a small battery spec, and he had one that fit right in there under the seat, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so in less than 10 minutes, we're no longer delayed. And day two, um, we're riding along. <laughs> And a guy's front sprocket falls off. And we're in fairly rural. And on the, K, on the KTM 500, there's a special bolt that holds the front sprocket on. And, and it's the only bolt of its kind on the KTM. And it has a very special washer that puts pressure on that sprocket that prevents the oil seal from leaking. And it was just in the morning as he was pulling out to go and the sprocket fell off. And I zoomed back four miles to the hotel we were staying at. Mike was there, and I said, hey, Mike, you wouldn't happen to have a sprocket bolt in your box? If, oh, yeah, here it is. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's called like a – is it a Bellevue or something? Like it's got a taper on it, so it, it compresses it's a special, it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And then day five, um, <laughs> a guy's rear wheel bearings froze. Uh. And Mike had spare rear wheel bearings. I need to go riding with Mike. <laughs> Don't you think? Wow. In fact, John, what I'm going to do is I'll f- Mike sent this list of all of the parts he carried and all of the tools he had in that box. And he basically saved four people's rides. Oh, that's cool. Isn't it? And he's just a generous guy. And he also had spare tubes because a couple of guys – flats are expected, right? Sure. We all carry spare tubes, but one of the guys had gone through a couple tubes, and Mike had extra tubes to provide to that guy who needed a couple extra 21s, super heavy-duty, the four-mil ones. And, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, you know, Mike Black's on my list of the first guy to invite on my KTM rides. Every ride, yeah. Come on, Mike, and bring your toolbox, would you? <laughs> anyway, he's, he's this wonderful guy. But to answer your question, uh, the WRs probably didn't have a statistically significant number. Probably if we had 21 WRs, we would have found four failures, too. I doubt it, but, <laughs> sure. you know. Uh, sounds like you had a good time. How many miles did you end up logging, ultimately? Uh, it depends on what route you took. Most of us did twelve to 1,400 miles okay. in That's 10 days. Run. That's a good run. Yeah, in contrast to what we did in December, which was 23 to 2,400 miles okay. the previous two Decembers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I'm interested in the WR. We're, my girlfriend's going to get a motorcycle this year, so she can start riding uh, dual sport at least. WR would be a great option. I just think it's too tall without. Well, I know it's too tall without lowering it for her. She's only five foot tall. I'd like to get a WR, but so um, the WR. Um, so you're a strong supporter of new people to the sport and women. And and I think um, the WR represents a, a really good entry point for those people. Um, there's a woman I know who lives in Southern Maryland who's probably five, five feet tall. And she has done a, a fabulous website on all the different ways you can lower a WR for mm. people who, who aren't so tall. Okay. Um, I don't know. Do you do you go to ADV Rider much? Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, her, I think her her handle on ADV Rider is Dorito, like the Dorito corn chips. Oh, that sounds good. 
<laughs> and and she's a an engineer who's very thoughtful in her her uh, description of lowering the WR. She also lowered a BMW X Country, the 650 that's lightweight uh, for her, and she wrote a, a really nice write up on that. So your girlfriend um, would probably do really well on a lowered WR. Uh, my KTMs are both lower two inches, and even though I'm six feet tall, I find that useful. Uh, so, you know, I think, sure, the WR is tall, but your girlfriend would probably do better on a WR than a KTM. Oh, sure. Yeah, the, and the KTMs are up, up there, too. I I just know that the WR is a nice, reliable platform, good motor. I think it'd be a great starting point if we could get her get her to where she could uh, touch on it for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think I mentioned to you, when I do rides where I'm the ride yoder, the ride leader, um, on my support vehicle, I carry a spare WR simply because it's this bulletproof bike. And if somebody bike, somebody's bikes, somebody's bike breaks uh, and it's not repairable, I say, hey, take the WR. Um, I, I can't say anything bad about it. My only complaint is I, I wish it were 50 pounds lighter. Sure. But... Um, if you're in the Bend motorcycle rental business, my guess, here's a prediction for you. In five years, rather than a fleet of KTMs, you'll have a fleet of WRs. Okay, I'm going to write that down, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely be more cost-effective, not going to lie. <laughs> well, and, and to be honest with you, John, I don't think the fun factor is much different. Um, if if you don't have to worry that your bike's going to do this or that or that or this, and, and you can really abuse it, and all you have to do is see if there's air in the tires and uh, check the oil when you get home. <laughs> I mean, you know how much service the KTMs take. And, and don't get me wrong. I have three of them. I think it's the most awesome motorcycle made. And if you're lucky enough to own one and ride one, you've gone to heaven. But if you're going to run a, a business where people have to use and not necessarily maintain, but might abuse. I think the WR is 98% of a, a KTM, in part because of that reliability factor. Sure, I would also argue. for your for your girlfriend. I, is she very experienced? Uh, she's ridden off road quite a bit already. Okay, so, but now she wants to get out and do the plated stuff. Okay, well, um, yeah. I would strongly encourage you to, to get one. You can probably buy one used that's been lowered two inches um, if you just look around. Sure, that's very possible. But those are that's kind of what we're looking at. WR, uh, the KTM 250 Dual Sport, and then the Yamaha uh, XT 252. I think those are kind of the, the three options. Yeah, well, you probably can't go wrong with any one of those. They're all great choices. Sure. Um, uh, you probably don't know this. I'm, I'm getting, I'm going to add another KTM to my arsenal, believe it or not. Um, oh, which one? The, the 790? Se the 790. We're going to get that. <laughs> so well, good for out. you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's going to, uh, I, I don't know. It's my first lar larger adventure bike, if you will. Um, uh -huh. we'll, we'll see how it goes. I guess if I don't enjoy myself on it, I will, I'll get rid of it. Uh, it's hard to imagine you won't enjoy it. My guess is what you'll discover is it does some things really, really well, better than any other bike you have. And and some things it, it feels like just a little heavier and you'd like it, you know, to be a little lighter like your 500. But mm -hmm. the other things compensate for that. And, you know, it's like having a toolbox, right? 
Yeah, and it, it it's not a bike I'm going to take on uh, trails or single track. You know, specifically right. ADV type riding. Um, yep. Talked to some guests recently. I'd really like to go and take it up onto the Dalton, ride through Alaska. Yep. You know, Continental Divide. I think those yep. are good places for that bike. So. Well, and probably a lot of the backcountry discovery routes would be great. Oh yeah. You know. Speaking of, uh, it, go ahead. Go ahead. Would it be as much fun as a KTM 500 on some of those uh, off BDR routes that you'd like to ride? No, but that's not what the BDR is. Yeah. Speaking so, of, uh, I was thinking of Alaska. Have you ridden at all up in Alaska? No, it's on my wish list. Part of the challenge for me is I live in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And what I've concluded is I should probably ship my bike to either Seattle or Anchorage, ride, because a large part of what I'd like to ride that falls into the Alaska bucket is actually Canada and the Northwest Territory. Uh-huh. And by the time you spend four weeks here and two weeks there, uh, you just don't have time to either ride there or ride home. So uh, I'm still working full time. And I think it's it's a minimum four weeks, even if you start out in Anchorage. Um, so it's on my wish list, but yeah, mine, I have the books, I have the maps, <laughs> <laughs> I've got the desire. Mine too, and uh, that's one of those where I uh, I don't want to rush it. I just want to kind of work my way through Alaska and and kind of come and go as I please, and take my time and see everything, and and try to get everything there in, in uh, one swoop. Yeah, well, you know, it could be that your experience is like it's been in Oregon. It, uh, you can't get enough of it. That and could be it, yeah. You, you, you just want to go back and back and back. Yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to check that out. I've, uh, I've watched a fair amount of video on the uh, the motorcycle touring company in Iceland too. I think that would be amazing to go check that out. This year, apparently, in the uh, Northwest Territory, they've opened up a highway. You know how in Alaska, um, there's a road that goes up to Prudhoe Bay? I think it's mm-hmm. Dead Horse. Yeah. Well, um, in the Northwest Territory, they've opened up. The road used to go from Dawson City, I think, up to Fort McPherson, and it would end at a town called Unavik. And this year, they've opened up the road all the way to the uh, Arctic Circle to a town that a lot of people are excited about and they plan to travel to this summer. I can't quite pronounce it, but it's something like Tuk to Yuk Tuk. It's got about six syllables and it starts with a Tuk and it ends with a Tuk. <laughs> an Eskimo name? Or yeah. Okay. Well, that would be so that's interesting kind of, too. Yeah. That's kind of a new destination and it's uh, one of those long roads up and long roads back, kind of like the Dalton. Yeah. But, it, uh, it's amazing what man can do. I, I watched a video of that Dalton looking at the pipeline and, you know, just the totality of that road just blows my mind. Well, and you hear stories about people having a wonderful ride and people having a miserable ride uh-huh. and you realize it's just the, the luck of the draw, you know? No, I think timing is everything. I could see where that road would be pretty miserable in the ice and snow, obviously, but uh, it looks like with all the truck traffic, it wouldn't take much to make it really muddy, too. So what would you take? Would you take your new 790 on that? I think so. Just looking at the road and, and considering comfort factor, I think the 790 would be great up there. Um, but I wouldn't want to get, I don't know, I don't want to get it that dirty right away either. So 500 yeah. is a pretty versatile tool. I mean, you can't really go wrong there. 
So one of the problems of riding in Baja is there's salt everywhere. And if you ride along the ocean for 30 or 40 miles, um, at the end of the day, you really need to hose off your bike because Mm -hmm. um, there's just a lot of salt. And and probably in Alaska, uh, we could find people with uh, power washers and car washes. You know, where we could do that. That's one of the things we did in Baja after we rode on the beach. All of the gas stations there, not only next, not only did they have the air for your tires, but next to it, they had these free uh, water hoses so you could wash off the salt or the sand. And that was really nice. Yeah, it's funny I'm not you sure mean- we got it all off, but we felt better about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. That was the first thing that the uh, the two travelers did when they got off the Dalton because whatever they put in the road there is very corrosive on the motorcycles. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason the rental companies aren't very enthusiastic and they charge you a surcharge if you're going to ride the Dalton <laughs> on a rental because sure. it really is hard on the bikes. Yeah, and maybe that's the way to go too, just rent a bike and ride around up there too. Uh, you know, bike rentals are expensive, but there is a benefit. That it, Yeah. For sure. Fly in, fly out, and uh, right. n- not a ton of liability. There's some liability, but not a ton. Um, I've been kicking around the Continental Divide a lot. I don't think we're going to go this year because I'm going to go to the KTM Rally in September, and that's going to eat up a bunch of my time. But what what else can you personally tell me about the Continental Divide that, that uh, you know, firsthand experience? You've obviously been on it. So, um, gosh. I think it's a great ride. In many ways, I think it's better than the TAT because you can do it in 12 days. Um, people will discuss whether you should do it south to north, north to south. We did it south to north, and, and that's the biggest window of availability uh, simply because of the weather. You know, you can start in the south, um, and the, the problem in the Continental Divide or the challenge in the Continental Divide is getting through the passes that are fairly high and the snow lingers until June or July. And starting on the Continental Divide late in June or July, it's really hot in southern Colorado and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what you're trying to balance. I think, you know, if you, if you have two weeks for a ride, the Continental Divide is probably one of the sweetest rides you can do. It's got a, a little bit of everything in it. It's not technically very difficult. Um, the days can be long. Uh, there's a fair amount to see. And to say that you've ridden your motorbike down the spine of the Continental Divide from Mexico to Canada is, is a real sense of accomplishment. You know, uh, that, that's quite an adventure. Uh, um, the logistical challenge is either getting home from the end or getting to the start. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that, you know, you just have to figure out. I'm, I'm happy to offer you suggestions for that. Um, the way I did it is I found a guy who was going to the start. I happened to be in Salt Lake at a BMW rally, and I was giving a couple of talks there, and I found an airline that flies to um, Silver City, New Mexico, which was like two miles from where the Continental Divide started. Uh, well, it's where our Continental Divide started. It was probably 30 miles north. But there was an airport there, and they flew in little planes. And so a guy had brought my bike, and I flew in. And at the end, I just rode my bike uh, from the Canadian border back to Salt Lake, which was a day, and that wasn't so bad. I don't know what it is from Eureka, Montana, where you end back to Bend, Oregon, but it's probably a day. Yeah, it's probably about 16, 18 hours maybe. Is it that far? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kind of con- comparing and contrasting with, uh, I know where the rally, KTM rally is this year in Breckenridge, is about 17 hours. Might be a little bit is closer. Is it that far? 
Yeah. yeah. So it might be a little bit closer from Montana, but yeah. So I think I think if you could put that on your schedule, you you'd really you you thoroughly enjoy it. Um, you wouldn't be physically exhausted. And what most people do is they put in a rest day uh, where they get to ride around Yellowstone. Oh yeah. And and that's kind of like really icing on the cake. Um, there's a lot to see. There's a lot to discover. There are some really remote areas that you get to ride. Um, and there are options. There are some uh, technical stuff that you could schedule in, and there's some paved road stuff you could schedule in. And depending on how you feel that day, uh, you know, or what you're riding, um, you, you could have a really enjoyable trip. I think what, what's great about that trip is if you rode it with some friends that you really wanted to share the experience with, your girlfriend would be ideal. <laughs> yeah, she's talking you know? about it already. <laughs> I mean, there's just one of the, one of the hard things I had riding through South America is I was riding with a good buddy, but you know, my wife wasn't there. Somebody I really shared a lot of things in life with. And, you know, you see this spectacular view or you have this wonderful experience. And, and there's something that makes it even more rich when you share it with somebody you care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the towns that we stopped in for motels, we, we stayed in motels in that whole trip. And it would probably be even richer if you camped half the time. Because some of the camping sites along that route are just terrific. You know, just some wonderful national parks and state forests. And, but many of the towns we stayed in were totally delightful. Uh, I remember one evening we were in Helena, Montana. It was great. The people were terrific. The the pubs, the coffee shops. Uh, there there happened to be a, a, a motorcycle uh, show there, uh, a bunch of off track stuff, and we were right in the middle of it. We didn't even know it was there. You know, some of the uh, other small towns, um, southern Idaho, uh, northern Wyoming, rural Colorado, just. Really fun, kind of places you'd love to go spend a weekend or a week, but you only have a night. <laughs> you know, so yes, yeah, I'd encourage it's you to that put, stinking schedule. <laughs> well, I would encourage you to to don't delay. Uh, if you could squeeze it into your schedule, um, you could do it in ten days. Twelve days is better. If you put a day on each end, and maybe you ship your bike to home from the end or or ship it to the beginning um to save you a day or here or there it's probably worth the five hundred dollars and i'd be happy to talk to you in more detail um but um you shouldn't delay it it's it's a wonderful ride it's it's a really fun ride you get to ride the length of new mexico south to north then you follow it with the length of colorado south to north and then you get to cover uh probably three quarters of wyoming across the great basin and and that's uh, a really spectacular the great basin none of the water that falls there ever leaves and it's this huge wide open beautiful place and and then you enter southeastern Idaho, and you stop for a rest day, and you ride into Wyoming, back into Wyoming to to view Yellowstone, and and then you ride the the full length of Idaho into Montana. I'm sorry, you you ride the full length of Montana back into Idaho, and it's it's just beautiful. Um, yeah, I, so you- I guess riding south to north would be uh, my first choice. That'd be my recommendation, but doesn't mean you couldn't do it the other way. 
So comparably, would you just call this a, a longer BDR? I mean, are we kind of yeah. along the same? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you're not making it easy on me, Keith. I really want to go, but... I'm on the other side of the spectrum. You know, I don't have enough time, and, and I've got enough money to go, but I just don't get enough vacation time. And I've got the bikes, and I've got the desire. What I don't have is the, is the youth sure. <laughs> and the time, you know. And so the way I look at it, I'm going to ride for another 10 years if I'm lucky uh, until I'm 77. And I'm going to front load the next 10 years. I'm going to try and do the more challenging ones in the next five. And that's part of the reason I'm focused on the, the BDRs and the Continental Divide and the Bajas. Uh, although, to be honest with you, they're not physically that demanding. No. Uh, it's just that they're more remote, and so the risks, the perceived risk is greater. I actually don't think it is, but um, I think a lot of safety can be built into those. Um, I've actually come to the conclusion that riding off-road is much safer than riding on-road. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I could I could tell you some, some stories here locally and in uh, Idaho. You know, one of the, the things, and this isn't a knock on anybody that has – a UTV, but I rode uh, out of Idaho. Um, I was headed towards Warren. I can't remember the name of the town before Warren, but Avery, maybe the Avery Tunnels. And uh, I I met head on thirty UTVs in a thirty mile stretch, or twenty five UTVs, and uh, they weren't always on their side of the road. And that's kind of a kind of yeah. a sketchy thing. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of uh, thoughtless people who think they're on a road that doesn't have painted lines, and so they don't need to worry about oncoming traffic, and and that that can be really scary. But I do agree, getting off the getting off the beaten path and the trail always feel much safer. But you know, I'm just cognizant of the fact, and and I kind of accept the fact that. Uh, most aren't going to be on their side of the road, so I'm always always hugging that right side. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that you quickly discovered in Baja is the roads are really remote and there's no traffic. And it's very easy to think that you own all of the road. And uh, <laughs> once in a while, you come across, you know, a, a pickup truck going the other way. But because the roads are so poor, the trucks are rarely going any speed and you see them in the distance. Frequently, you see a dust cloud. So, um, it's 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 remarkably safe in Baja in terms of oncoming traffic. Greatest risk there is actually coming across animals in the road, sheep and cows. Sure. And um, occasionally, you'll come across dogs, but they aren't a problem with all your riding gear on. No, that was one of my uh, one of my. I don't know if I want to call it a concern, but. I was kind of hopeful that I would see a, a moose in Idaho. I definitely didn't want to run into one on the road. Uh, yeah. But I, we never had the encounter. I haven't seen one since I was in the Tetons, but we'll, we'll see another one maybe this year. Well, hopefully you see them from a distance and not up too close. Not too close, and, and hopefully they're not too angry. Uh, they have a reputation for having a bad attitude. <laughs> well, Keith, uh, I've, had you on the, I've had you on the line for quite a while. you have anything else to add, or am I going to cut you loose? No, um, I thoroughly enjoy talking to you. Uh, it's it's always fun to talk to you, John. If there's anything I can do to help you schedule either your Continental Divide ride or your Baja ride um, or any of the other rides, let me know. Um, I'm more than happy to help in any way I can. I'm trying to put together a, 
uh, Colorado BDR first week of September, followed by a Utah BDR the second week of September. And I'm sketching out dates and destinations and lodging. And if I can put that together, I'll invite a handful of friends along and do it. I'll ex- certainly extend an invitation to you. I know your schedule is pretty busy and you've got a lot of things. And I would say if it doesn't work this year, well, perhaps next year. But if you could pencil in Baja for next December, um, pencil it in your calendar. You need 10 days and I'll invite you along. I'm already really stoked about going. (laughs) How's that for a closing comment? (laughs) That's good. Now, if I show up on my 500, are you going to give me any grief or am I okay to bring my 500 down there? Oh, I'm going to bring my 500. I'm just going to bring ex- I'm going to bring I'm I'm going to bring my friend Mr. Black with his parts bin. There you go. And hey, yeah, keep me in the loop on the on the Utah and the Colorado timing because I have flirted with the idea of leaving the rally and riding the Utah BDR. Uh, but maybe okay. I could front just keep me keep me in the loop on that. I might be able to tie a couple things together when I'm in when I'm I'll at take the a rally. look and see when the KTM rally is. You said it was in September in Breckenridge. It's September 13th through the 15th. Okay. Well, so. I'll I'll take a look. Uh, my friend went to it in Utah this year, and he said it was just an awesome rally. So sorry I missed it, but uh, I should probably try and go this year. Yeah, my dad my dad went last year, and he had a great time. So this will be our Did first he? time going, and yeah, we'll go okay. check it out. So. Sounds great. Well, really good talking to you. Let me know if I can do anything. All right, Keith. Thanks again. Talk to you again. Bye. And let me echo that statement, Keith. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always great to talk to you. Anytime you want to come back to the podcast and share with us your knowledge, your experiences, these great rides that you go on, we'd be more than happy to have you. BenMotorcycleAdventures.com. That's our website. I often talk about our blog and how you can catch up with the uh, latest episodes of the podcast on there our long-form written content. If you're interested in an off-road, dual sport, or ADV ride, hit me up. That's what we do. So again, BenMotorcycleAdventures.com. Don't forget about us on Facebook and Instagram at BenMotorcycleAdventures. And like I said earlier, KTM 790 Adventure R closed Facebook group. If you want to be a part of that, watch me build my bike once I take delivery of it. We'll be producing a lot of content. And just stay up to date on the latest model. Don't forget to join that Facebook group. And I think that will about do it. Episode 24, we'll close that out. Episode number 25, I can't believe we've got these many in the rear view. And I just want to take a second to to shout out to not anyone specifically, but every day I get a number of direct messages on Instagram. That's where we seem to have our, our largest following. But people thanking me for producing the podcast and uh, saying they found me or discovered me through the podcast. I really appreciate that. Um, never thought we'd... We'd be coming up on 25 episodes, but it's just something that, that I'm passionate about, I love to do, and, and really credit to all of the great guests we've had. I'm just a, a puppet here. I'm just talking into the mic. So it, it's these people that, that share their stories that really make the podcast go. So shout out to all of our guests. And again, you know, thank you for all the positive feedback. That being said, episode 25, I'm not sure if we're going to drop another on Thursday or if you're going to have to wait till next Monday. But again, don't forget about us on Instagram at Ben Motorcycle Adventures. That's usually where you will find uh, the most relevant or updated information. So until then, we'll see you. Thanks for listening.